it looks, like, it looks like a DNA double helix. Yeah, doesn't it? It does. Is that Steve? I, I, is that I, your? Is that your? Is that your genome? I, I admire you guys immensely, and you all have certain <laughs> qualities to bring to the table. To the Huge discussion. butt. Why coming? are you looking at? But when it when comes to that. fashion, I ain't. I ain't taking advice from any of you. Is it super dry that jumper? It is most certainly not. That is why. That is why it's awful. Did you notice that Steve's new Gillette is um is Polo by Ralph, Ralph Polo by Ralph Lauren? It is. Is it? Steve noticed. Steve definitely noticed. <laughs> is it the, the emblem's really noticeable, isn't it? It's in sharp contrast to the actual colour of the Gillette. Well, to say, I've got, it's yeah. polo, you it know. It was partly that yeah. that alerted me, but it was mainly just Steve walked in bellowing, this is a polo yeah. Gillette. <laughs> <laughs> I've just come directly from the polo. The, um, he's quite well dressed, Steve, isn't he? Uh, they were vouchers for Christmas, uh, for birthday, weren't they? They were, they actually. Were, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ralph so, Lauren vouchers? No, they were John Lewis vouchers. Ah, I see. So, but they, they have a, they have a concession <laughs> in John Lewis, so I was able to... It's I had to put exchange my John Lewis vouchers. You still had to put £400 with the vouchers to get the gelée. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we, we don't usually start the um, completely unscripted part of the programme with a scripted part, but we've got an email and I wanted to bring it to everybody's attention. It's from Rodri Evans. Hello, Rodri. Uh, how is everyone after the new Alan Partridge show? He says. Now, you were on the radio last night, Rory. No, but I came back, and, I came back, came back and, and watched it on iPlayer. So yeah. we're recording on a Tuesday and the night before was the first episode um, of the new Alan Partridge show on the BBC, which, as BBC uh, email address holders, Steve and I received an email from Alan Partridge. Oh, did you Did you get the email? Um, and so, well, actually, I haven't checked because I haven't been in, but I assume so because... Do you not have remote, remote access to I'm, your email? Well, Hugh yes, and I, I didn't check that. Hugh, are, Hugh and I are the only people that work at the BBC that didn't take a screen grab of the yes. Partridge <laughs> put email it, and put it check on Twitter. Me out. I am living in Partridge's reflected glory. He's my friend, you know. Um, but uh, Rory, as the, uh, the biggest fan amongst the group, um, closely followed by... Andrew, closely followed by Steve and I, uh, what did you make of it? Uh, I'm slightly biased because Neil Gibbons, who's one of the writers I once met on a train. Uh, which you've told on this podcast. Uh, and <laughs> Everybody goes, I remember that story. I liked him very much. Uh, I thought it was really good. I laughed out loud. So it's really, it's really hard. Rory does TV review. <laughs> it's, it's really hard, I think, for, all, for any comedy because people go into it expecting, well, I've got to have a certain number of belly laughs or yeah. it's, it's not funny. And particularly with Partridge, because of all the legacy stuff and so many sort of big fans and people expect so much of it. And people our age living, uh, yeah. growing up with him. Yeah. Bit, yeah. I, I laughed out loud several times, which is all I asked from a, from a comedy. I thought it was really good. I expect it will get better yes. as the season goes on. The only thing I would say is that I, I have a certain level of tolerance for th- like the absolute cringy stuff. Like I, I, it was the same with, with, with the, the British office. Hmm. That the certain times when it got really cringy, I, I kind of have to turn away and not watch because I get swept up in it and get too embarrassed. So that happened last night, did it? There was one, I can't remember which, which bit it was, but I was just a bit which like, this, this, is, this is too much. Yeah, it might have been, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is too cringy for me. But I, I, I understand yeah. that there are but people in, who love that yes, form of comedy. In, yeah. And also in the retelling and in the re-watching, it will get better yeah. uh, and better because Chinch has already relayed uh, a story from last night. I just thought it was hilarious with the with the, the, t- the two names of the lady who was uh, the expert yes. on the leopard seal. But the... <laughs> which yeah. we can't, we the, can't it, repeat. It, it's bits that... Um, <laughs> the leopard seal stuff about the about the U the U boat was fantastic. But the, um, you see, you see, at the f- first when I watched it, I was like, "Okay, this is Partridge, and I'm I'm enjoying it." But is it is it classic Partridge? And then and then twelve hours later, you feel. But the, the best line in it was the one to the um, the hacker where he said the woman at North North, North Norfolk Digital does the accounts in an exercise <laughs> book. 
I thought that was a brilliant line. Are See, we all up to date? The, the, the <laughs> thing is, is that was incoherent because you're laughing about the yeah, gag yeah. so yeah. much. So anybody who hasn't seen it won't know what you're talking. There was about. a funny line about exercise books. The um, Neil, <laughs> who I once met on a train, you know the toilet bit when he was outside the toilet. That's, that was yeah, the yeah, fourth yeah. or fifth yeah. guy to come out of the men's toilets mm. was Neil. So maybe that he is gave himself a cameo. <laughs> Oh, I see. Oh, right. oh he's okay, gone big time now. Then. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to have words. So what does he, he look like? Just to remind us. What, Neil, is he? White man. <laughs> White man. Beard? Yeah. Uh, no, there was like a bearded gentleman. Uh, like, kind of like you, sort of. Swarthy. Des- designer stubble. <laughs> Devilishly handsome. Enormously handsome. <laughs> Why wasn't I asked to walk out of a toilet for the fifth man to walking be honest, out of lavatory? I think Neil... Don't work at BBC. <laughs> if I remember correctly, Neil is a Manchester City fan. Oh! And therefore, I'm, I'm sure he would give you... I, it wouldn't massively surprise me if he listens to the podcast. Right. Would he give Chinch huge props? Uh, I, I can imagine if, if there is a second series, give me a second series, <laughs> that, he, that he wouldn't be averse to you having yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. Put uh, your name in. Uh, every, everybody feel like they're up to date on yes. something that has no relevance yes. to about 95% of our audience. This is Set Piece Money, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. The food is not food, um, as we're recording at a time unsuitable for food and it forms the second part of a culturally interesting two-part journey through what's the hot a, drinks what's what's on? On? What's 9.39 t- what's unsuitable for food it's this unsuitable is, for food this is full on brunch hour the brunch starts at 10 no it doesn't brunch, brunch starts at 10 brunch is a state of mind <laughs> that was as partridge as we will be able to get yeah. uh, there's no time of the day that is unsuitable thank you Steve. I can't yes. th- okay. 3 o'clock in the afternoon is the most unsu- unsuitable time for food in the day it you is. can still manage your packet of biscuits or something. This, absolutely this, you can this is, a, this is an artifice a construct for me to be able to get you you've to the point that we're getting you've got some terrible to. tea that you've bought from some novelty shop that you've, you're trying to fob <laughs> off on us so remember we had Luwak coffee from Bali a few months ago so, uh, which was greeted with similar levels of enthusiasm by Rory is that the cat's bottom <laughs> coffee <laughs> yeah that's yeah. right well on that same trip Gemma and I went to a tea house in Hong Kong uh, so completely, I've been to Hong Kong. completely legitimate and the drink I chose from the incredibly long list available was called, called Oolong PG Tips and uh, <laughs> <laughs> here it is presented in a Chinese tea set that was Steve's Christmas present to me so what I'm going to do is it's very small steeping. isn't it Steve did they only have brown for the uh, tea set, was there no any colours that might have oh, livened things up a bit, or I might have just it. the good brown. thing about exchanging Christmas gifts with Hugh is that he just sends you the link to what you have to buy him. Oh. It is a is right? painless and effortless experience. I would mm. say the best thing about exchanging Christmas gifts with Hugh is that I don't. <laughs> it saves me a lot of thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah. saves you having to buy uh, the tea set. So there you go. There's, there's, I've, I've, um, there we go. I played mother. So right. what would you like to try? This, what's this Finch. meant to? Um, what's this meant to taste like? It's kind of a smoky, yeah. smoky yeah. tea. Yeah. Right. That is disgusting. That noise. Take that out. Misophonics will not. Oh, that's quite. Um, it's quite nice, though. The teacups have got no handles. <laughs> uh, right then. Mm. I'm glad. I'm glad we're drinking that like a grandma drinks <laughs> soup. You got You've got to give it a bit of that, haven't you? That's what you do, no. don't you? You do coffee, wine, tea. That's no, what you need. That's not a thing. I'm doing it off mic. It's a thing. Is it a thing? Oh. Joining me, Hugh Ferris, are Rory Smith, red and yellow and pink and green, Stephen Wyeth, purple and orange and blue, and Andy Hinchcliffe, who can sing a rainbow. Get in touch uh, with the podcast via <laughs> at setpiecemenu, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. I'd had what? a lot of oolong tea when I wrote this script. Uh, we're also on Facebook. Um, Harvey Sayer has written a lovely email entitled Your Exquisite Pod. Uh, Dear Steve and others, I want to thank you for speeding up hundreds of my hours at work as I'm allowed to listen to music or podcasts, though I regrettably admit that it has taken me just over two months to get through all 116 episodes so far, twice. 
I don't know why he regrettably admits it. That's excellent well, work. Well, it doesn't suggest he's doing a vast amount of work. That's <laughs> true. His boss is not paying attention. Have you just poured coffee, latte coffee, into your oolong tea? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, Harvey continues, unabated. SPM has already eclipsed every other pod with regards to the anticipation I have for each new episode due to the apparent friendship, the apparent friendship shared between the four of you. I'm also of the opinion that Barry Glendinning is bitter that the Guardian's podcast content is nowhere near your level of insight, timelessness, and most importantly, has no cuisine. Uh, due to Andy's recent birthday, I researched my own birthday 11, which is from the 24th of June, as I was aware that I shared it with Lionel Messi. I've attached the best 11 I could come up with. Not sure it could compete with Andy's, but that's for you to decide. It can't. Uh, it might make a much better five-a-side squad. Just thought you'd appreciate Kevin Nolan and Juan Raquelme, who is Rory's favourite player of all time, complementing each other exquisitely in midfield. That's from Harvey. So, Harvey, thank you very much indeed. Diego Alves in goal. Penalty saving expert. David Alaba, Andrea Raggi, uh, Micah Richards, and Cicinho across the back. Kevin Nolan and Pantelis Cafes in midfield holding. Uh, a three in front of them Luis Garcia, Juan Raquelme, and Shunsuke Nakamura. And then Lionel Messi. Cecilio, so it's pretty that good. A Phil Collins song. No, <laughs> yes. no that's Cecilio. He was a, a right back for Madrid, Real Madrid. When? Uh, in the early to mid two thousands. Spell, spell it. C i c i n h o. Oh, C C Senior. Uh, Cecilio. Yeah, played for Roma, Cecilio. Brazilian. Yeah. No, that's that. You're thinking about uh, Cecilia. Cecilia. No, or Cecilia by or Cecilia. No, oh, but by Suggs. Cecilia. No, that's got Simon you're well, bedding me, yes, please. Yes, it was redone by. Yeah. Simon and Garfunkel tr- didn't redo it no, no, after no, no, no. Suggs, Suggs had done it. <laughs> Suggs redid it. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting off the subjects here anyway. Can I put an 11 together for the 5th of February then? So We've I, already done it. Have we? When? when you weren't here, when you were ill. Oh, what do you mean you've done it without... That's, how can you do it without me, you clown? Because it was on the 5th of February, when you were ill. Oh, right. Our old friend Stephen Chicken has got in touch. This in response to the fullbacks episode from a couple of weeks ago, which was the one after the one that we did the 5th of February 11. Mm. Hi, says Stephen. It may interest you to know that a number of teams at the Women's Euros in 2017 actually played their <coughs> number nines, who are actual strikers, rather than being misnumbered, at fullback. It hasn't come into the men's game. I haven't seen it in the women's domestic game here either, but I thought it was an interesting quirk to append your ever insightful discussion. Actual strikers playing at fullback? Yes. Such was a thing that uh, was noticed by Stephen during the women's Euros in 2017. It'd be interesting to see if they do it in the World Cup later this year. I like Stephen Chicken very much. Uh, I would be interested to know what the explanation for that was. Uh, he didn't give one. He thought that we might be able to. Stephen, we have hang on, hang do on, better. Hang on, hang on. Point of order. Hitch 5th of February, best 11. Yeah. I'm not in it. Yeah, that's the whole point. That's how good it is. That's the punchline, Jinch. Welcome to comedy. No, I have to be in it. <laughs> no, you don't. To. You weren't even our second choice. There's back. someone who can drop out of this team. Lee Martin was on the bench. There's no, there's no one who can drop out of that team. Good team, isn't it? I'll get the halftime oranges. It's all right. It's better than Harvey's, though, isn't it? So if anybody has a birthday 11 that they think can challenge Chinch's on the February the 15th 11, then... Uh, February the 5th 11. February the 5th 11. Oh, my God, the oolong. Uh, Also, Drew Savage, who we've mentioned before as a colleague of Steve's and mine at the BBC, uh, got in touch with a very long email. And if you know Drew, that won't surprise you. Uh, Firstly, to say, as many did, that a cheeky Vimto doesn't actually have Vimto in it, which is something that um, we knew but didn't bring to anybody's attention uh, at the appropriate time we, this descri- week. we described it as alcoholic vimto yes when it's yeah. uh, when actually it, yes. a combination it's a blue WKD blue, and blue, port yeah, yeah that's it mm. um, or, um, or vodka or, or and vodka um, but also Drew wanted to offer his thoughts on Neil Warnock um, who he mentioned during last week's episode on man managers or managers as motivators 
I think, says Drew, this is why people hate Neil Warnock, or at least why I used to hate him in the 1990s. Do you remember at school, most people had someone in their year that nobody actually liked, but everyone was nice to them. Why? Don't, don't point at me, Tim. I'm not pointing at you. That's rude. <laughs> I was pointing round you. To, to Steve. Steve. <laughs> why were you nice to them, says Drew? Because you had to keep on the right side of them because they were really manipulative and were always playing people off against each other. And if they chose to, they could make your life a total misery by persuading everyone else that you were a Colin and that they should hate you. I've replaced the actual word with Colin yes. so that everybody who knows why Neil Warnock is called oh, Colin yeah, yeah. gets it. Uh, my perception, says Drew, of Warnock is that whatever school he went to, he must have been that person. At almost every club he managed in the 1990s, including Plymouth, which is Drew's team, he came in, signed his usual core of limited but hardworking journeymen, got some short-term success, and as soon as the bubble looked like bursting, he'd engineer a row with the chairman, walk out looking whiter than white, and the moment that he left the club, it started to implode, because he'd been playing everyone against each other uh, behind the scenes, and they all fell out once he wasn't there to hold it all together. And then the club took years to recover from it, and usually got relegated. But that knack for manipulation is probably what makes him such a great man-manager and why he's achieved such success. He knows how to press your buttons, whoever you are, and whatever buttons you have. Also, it's entirely possible that I'm wrong, and the reason that clubs tended to implode and get relegated after he left was that he's a bloody good manager, tended to overachieve, and is a hard act to follow. Uh, the odd thing was that years later, when he was managing Sheffield United, I met him, says Drew, while I was working at BBC Yorkshire Sports Awards, uh, and gritted my teeth and prepared myself to be professional and polite to him and not say anything that gave away my true feelings. And actually, I came away from that liking him, despite all of the above, and I've liked him ever since. Plus, I thought he's handled the uh, Salah business with great dignity, although there is the possibility that he's just been man-managing me, and you had to press my buttons. But why would he do that? Is he that much of a genius at man-management? The thing about Warnock, I can't remember, remember if we said this, but if you, I, I've interviewed Warnock. I interviewed him when his book came out. His book is actually quite interesting, which for a manager's sort of mid, mid-ranking manager's autobiography is quite surprising. In fact, for any manager's autobiography, apart from Rafa Benitez's Champions Neil, League Neil dream, which is excellent. What was it uh, called? No. <laughs> no. No, it's not. I think it's called no. An Autobiography or My Life in Football or something. My Life as Colin. <laughs> yeah. The, amazingly, the word Colin does not appear in Neil Warnock's own autobiography. <laughs> but the, I remember sitting down with him in the publishing, the publisher's office. It was Hodder, I think. And who'd also published Champions League Dreams by Rafa Benitez. And so I say he was just in the office when you were there. Warnock's really good company. He's really nice. And he's he's funny and he's self deprecating and he's warm and friendly. And I remember coming away compl- I never really had particularly strong opinions on Warnock. And I remember coming away thinking, I, I don't understand how he's got this reputation within football for being just he is genuinely widely loathed within football. And it it doesn't tally up. With the, with the man that I met or have seen occasionally since and who is exactly the same. And it is, it's a bit of a mystery to me. But I think the manipulation thing is probably quite accurate. I suspect that's what a lot of man, uh, what, what a lot of man management actually is, is manipulating people into doing what you want. Because usually when, it's normally when players retire as well, you kind of talk amongst yourselves about what coaches were really like. And there's certain coaches... I might have mentioned certain coaches who I didn't feel were very good and most people didn't feel were very good. Neil Warnock, you don't tend to hear people being really critical or mm. saying what a poor manager he was. Poor ma- it doesn't tend to happen. I can't remember anyone who's actually said, I played for him and I hated it. Yeah, They all seem to enjoy working with Neil Warnock. So, but you're meeting him in a in a, a publishing house mm. is different than being in a dressing room playing well, yeah. under him. Maybe Absolutely, his, yeah. his yeah, yeah. but normally something would surface where players or even just one player would say yeah. he was a nightmare to be coached by. And you don't hear it with Neil Warnock. It's I mean part of it the, the Colin thing comes from 
the Stan Turner episode and that Sheffield United game and the the violence mm. the, and the the kind of the Battle of Bramall Lane type thing and the fact that he's clearly a really annoying opponent. But to be honest, name me a manager who you you don't think is a really annoying opponent who you can't think. Well, if if that guy was trying to sort of beat my team, I'd be quite irritated by him. Low, I mean, they're all. None of them exactly cover themselves in glory. Like Pochettino's lovely, and then he goes and abuses Mike Dean. Like but doesn't that. doesn't Neil Warnock play the game and try to wind people up? By I think maybe that's what it is. Yeah, well. it's, it's it not necessarily. But it's, it's part of his yeah. uh, not ability. Well, it is are part of his abilities as a coach. Is to is to an Atavelt coach. Oh no, absolutely not. I'm not saying that. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. <laughs> uh, and finally, Frederick Huya has got back in touch. Uh, he's the Norwegian guy with whom I'm having a running battle. Um, about pronunciation, uh, we got Ole Gunnar Solskjaer even having a torrid affair with. We got Ole Gunnar even more wrong, by the way, when we were trying to get it right. Oh, go on. Uh, last week, apparently. Yeah. Uh, that said, Frederick uh, also added that I got his name right, so there's hope for us yet. Chinch, you didn't. Um, so it's it's not it's not Ole, it's not Ulla, it's Ulla, Ulla, Ulla. That is not according to Frederick. That is according to Forvo.com. Okay. And a nice Norwegian man. Okay. Uh, at Seppi's Menu and Seppi's Menu at gmail.com is how you get in touch with us. Our conversation topic today uh, probably uh, won't surprise you. We are going to be the latest to sit slack-jawed in amazement at the antics of Kepa Arifabalaga. Is that okay, Frederick? At Wembley. Uh, if your only source of football chit-chat is this podcast, firstly, thank you. Secondly, uh, we do not provide enough of a comprehensive service for that to be the case. And thirdly, this is the story of the Chelsea keeper refusing to come off towards the end of extra time in the League Cup final, despite his manager's decision to replace him after the Spaniard had twice gone down with cramp. It was a moment of such insubordination. We wanted to talk about it and ask this question. If with great power comes great responsibility. Have players become so powerful that they can be this irresponsible? We will attempt no further Voltaire, or indeed Uncle Ben from Spider-Man quotes, but was the level of disregard shown by Kepa a consequence of a unique set of circumstances? A record signing? A manager under pressure? An imminent shootout with a trophy on the line? Or was it a symptom of a wider issue that the much-discussed player power has now reached the point of open rebellion? So have players become so powerful they can be irresponsible. The first jaw that is slack is Chinch's because it's the largest jaw of the group. Um, mm. So perhaps, as everybody has said since how appalled they were, as the former professional on the panel, uh, would you like to add your voice to those calls of complete insubordination? So we're completely clear. He had cramp. He had an injury problem. He made a save, didn't he? And then was kind of waggling his arms around as if he had a problem with his calf. But clearly he felt he wasn't that badly injured that he needed to come off. But Chelsea clearly, regardless of that fact, they wanted to take... Oh, they're only taking him off because he was seemingly injured. I think... I think well, given that Kepa has now apologised and been fined... Mm-hmm. Yes. I think what... The easiest way of, of discussing it without getting sort of lost in the weeds of what exactly happened is to say that Kepa, for whatever reason, saw his number come up when, when Sarri and Zola said, right, that's it, we're, t- we're bringing... On advice from the medical staff. On advice from the medical staff, medical staff although we, we, we can't be 100% certain that that's not a bit of a red herring. So let's just leave that all But it aside. all started because he made a save and went down with seemingly a cramp that there, he was waving was, his arms. So that's where the process a, maybe started. There's a bit yeah. of confusion. If he'd not done that, yes. then it would have been very obvious that it was a tactical change. Yes. I have a feeling it was a tactical change anyway. And oh, really? Sarri wanted to bring oh. Caballero on regardless. We don't know because of the way it played out. Um, let's accept Chelsea's version of events and that that Kepper wasn't Kepper looked like he might be injured, wasn't injured, decided he wasn't injured. He still, at the at the moment of the decisive moment, saw his number come up, 
and very dismissively and disdainfully waved his manager away and said, no, 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 that's not what's happening. Did that ever happen in your career? No, there was to come off for whatever reason. Th- what's unusual about this is it's because it's it's out there for people to see. Mm. Players do throw their weight around, but normally you'd see that on the training ground or in the dressing room. Mm-hmm. I, I saw that absolutely. I saw that. Give examples. Paolo Di Canio was the the cl- and actually he was in many ways was in the right when players started to maybe turn the focus back onto a coach rather than just accept anything a coach said. Mm. When him, Ron Atkinson and, and Paolo were. You know, Ron was, again, the kind of the old school type of manager. And even though I might have disagreed with some of the things that he wanted to do and things that he said, I would always think, well, he's the coach. I haven't the right to then say, hold on a minute. But Paolo, remember an occasion that I'm sure it was at Coventry that he did it because Ron's used to, he didn't used to come in the morning and train. We used to train in the morning and then Ron used to kind of come in later in the afternoon. To do what? And to, to take training again because right. that's the way Ron structured his week. And Paolo just said, hold on a minute, you're criticising us for a poor performance. But what about you? turning up two or three times a week, turning up at one o'clock in the afternoon. So what he did was basically turned it round onto the coach. Now, I, I feel Paolo was absolutely right to do that, but he was one of the few that would ever verbalise it and say, I'm sorry, yes, we, we maybe play badly, but I'm going to shine a light on you and, and say, is it okay for you to behave like that? Because we don't feel, and we probably didn't as a squad, feel it was the right way to carry on. Describe... But that was in private, clearly in private. That wasn't for public consumption. Describe what Ron, his mouthful of Kit Kats, yes. said when Paolo said that. He, he, wanted, he wanted to kill him. Right. Because, again, coaches like Ron were not used to people standing up to them or actually then questioning the way that they ran their team or ran the squad or ran the club. Um, but that, the main problem was was Ron probably felt he's, he's right here but again it becomes then a yeah. battle of, of wits and a battle of power between a, a player that clearly the fans would see as hugely influential or the players saw as hugely influential Paolo was a very intelligent man who'd been around the block he'd won everything played in different he, he knew he wouldn't have said this <clears throat> unless he was absolutely sure he wouldn't just say it for effect and it was something that the, once he said it I understood completely what he was mm. I, I thought I would, I would never have done that because whether it's the person that's actually saying it or whether you want to get involved in that type of, of discussion or argument with a coach, because that then can cause a lot of problems further down the line. Because once someone does that to a coach like Ron or a manager like Ron, there's no real the, way the, back. Because the supply the of two fingers Kit Kats is, is uh, drying up. Mine dried up. I was then on Twixes and, and Blue Ribbon. Uh, they're not good enough. They're not good enough in terms excellent, of chocolate bar. But again, it was chocolate reference from a days gone by. Days gone by. But again, it's so unusual. But and he was, but he was absolutely right. And Ron was absolutely furious that someone should, and not necessarily the content of what he's saying. The fact he would actually say, "Hold on a minute, we're going to shine a light on on what you do." So wh- whenever I hear the, it comes around every couple of years, doesn't it? That we that we we have this conversation about not we us in particular but this kind of oh the players are too powerful it's gone too far rah, actually rah, rah. with us as well possibly with <laughs> us we a are, couple of years ago we did it <laughs> we are running out of ideas but we, if I the get, football cycle comes around again Rory that's true we, we can't prevent it spinning <laughs> <laughs> we're not in charge of the world <laughs> the, but the, <laughs> so every time it happens I get a bit annoyed because I sort of think well you can't you can't say well this is this is the point at which it's turned when you've said like a year ago well this is the point at which it's turned and that in itself was two years after you said well this is the point at which it's turned during your illustrious career Andrew and it was and it really was mm. it was did, a career yeah. did it was you, a career definitely looking think, back yes. did you notice a shift in the in where the power lay between the manager and but the players I've, I've talked a lot about the responsibility of players certainly over the last ten fifteen years is that because financially they become they get paid more than the coaches that never used to be the case. Do clubs now, with the way that they they run things, clubs tend to 
get the squads and bring a coach in to coach them. It doesn't happen at every club. Normally a big name coach can come in and then decide on who he wants to actually play for them. But a lot of clubs now are structured very differently. So a coach has maybe less power than the players. It's easier to get rid of a coach than yeah. get rid of five or six players. Financially, clubs can't afford to do that anymore. So because of the shift in how maybe clubs are run, owners, maybe Leicester's a good example, owners are speaking to the players and finding out what they think about how things are going and how <clears throat> good or bad a coach is. They're kind of bypassing the manager or the coach, which never used to be the way. They always go through the coach to find out what the team were thinking or why they were playing a certain way. Has the structure of clubs then changed the dynamic as well? So players now are far more valuable and their opinions mm. are listened to a lot more by the owners. So then the players then realise that, that, yes, they do have an awful lot of power. What they say is going to be listened to. But when I was playing, you didn't even know who the chairman was. You hardly ever saw him. And you certainly wouldn't give your opinion to him about how things were going with the team or a coach. That's not my place. My place was to to play. But surely in any business, these things must come up in terms of any kind of hierarchy. There must be these type of problems, not just in football. There must be conversations at the New York Times about how things are, are run. Well, I'm, I'm sure well, does everything run so smoothly that everybody knows their place? Certainly. Do, do people not get a little bit kind of, well, a sense of their power and try to kind of throw their weight around a little bit? You do, you do when you send an internal email to your assistant editor. You also blind CC in the editor and indeed the owner of the paper to make sure. I, I do all I can to make sure that the editor, the main editor and the, the publisher of the paper have literally no idea who I am, <laughs> which is a, a, pl- a ploy that is working successfully so far. Just, just I think very quickly on the Leicester thing, because I want to just yeah. refer back to the first time that you had this conversation, which was at the time that Claudio Ranieri had yeah. been sacked and we had the conversation about Leicester and whether they were responsible or partly responsible for making that happen. So I want to try and have a conversation now which draws um, either a line that carries on from that moment or makes the, the difference or makes the point that there is a difference between what Kepper did and what potentially has been going on uh, behind the scenes at clubs. So, well, I think Leicester's a great example. I think the fact that the Kepper thing and Puel getting sacked happened on the same weekend is why we're doing this podcast. <laughs> and and they, are both, they are both examples, I think, of how players have been empowered as Chint says, partly by the finance, which is the really easy explanation to say, well, they're all really rich now, so they're, they're kind of these feckless, irresponsible young men. But also, as Chint says very wisely, by the, the way that clubs are structured, by the fact that we have seen a reduction in the significance of the manager's role to, to more kind of a cog in the wheel rather than the all-powerful all figure. But the, the crucial thing to me is that... Well, so the Kepa thing's bad. And I, I, I did the radio last night and... Um, is it because it's out in the public and people well, can that, see yeah. it? Does that make it Basically, I think it does far worse than if it was in the dressing room you this will, disagreement happened? You will presumably have seen not just Paolo having it out wrong, but you presumably have, in your, your illustrious career, saw players refuse to come on? No. Never? No. But that, no. You, that you, was the Tevez Tevez did it in, in Munich. Munich. Uh, Ian Wright, friend of the show, said on, on Five Live yesterday that, he, that Mark Veduta did it at Celtic, just refused to come on at half-time, had a shower instead, which I think is a real power move. <laughs> to, to not only defy your manager, but then to get naked <laughs> is properly... Do you think he was taking his kit off as the manager was telling him to put his kit on? I am on? so confident in my argument that I am prepared to have it tackle out. Is a real, <laughs> is a real power move. And, and also, because you mentioned on Twitter ahead of having the discussion on the radio about how Chris Sutton had some views yes. about Kepper he wanted to express. And I noticed a lot of people responded to that and saying, well, can you have a word with uh, Chris then about refusing to play for England B mm. and refusing to be on the bench? In a in cup the, final. Actually, to take about I was there. I was around. He was in the England squads that I remember we played Cameroon and he came off the bench. We gave Cameroon a good seeing 2 2 0. But I'm sure he came off the bench in that game. But then there was the to play for England B and he refused, didn't yeah. he? I'm sure he'd made his full England debut 
and then he, yeah. he turned down. So a, thank you about the ask reminding me. Yes, involving um, it was it was against Russia. Was Might it? Been, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. 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 No, no, no. Classic I, Twitter simplification of no, no, no. I have no idea. I remember the England B thing. And I knew that that I know that's something that, that Chris, who I like a lot, gets criticised for. And I'm sure it, we should have brought it up. To be honest, the the one about the cup, the cup final, the cup semi, I didn't know about. I didn't know that he'd refused to sit on the bench. Um, but to be fair to Chris, and this is this is not going to turn into a Chris Sutton defence podcast. You're allowed to do things wrong, and then think they're wrong later in life, and realise that you are that you were wrong to do it. So maybe that Kepper, at the time, in 15 years' time, mm. thinks, do you know what? Maybe I, even now. Maybe even I suspect yeah. even now thinks, do you know what? That was the wrong thing to do. I called that completely wrong. But what made the Kepper thing worse, and the reason I, th- I do genuinely think it is crossing, it crosses a line. It's not something I've ever seen before, is because it was such open defiance. Whatever the reason, whether it's just he thought, well, it's a tactical substitution, I don't agree with it, or I'm not injured, whatever the reason. His number went up, and he thought, nope, not doing that. Do you know what he, sh- you know what he should have done? He should have, if he had gone to the touchline exactly. and spoken to yeah. Sarri, but I, with yeah. not doing that, it's basically saying, I'm not even have the decency yeah. to come and speak to you, There's which nothing makes that the you distance between them, yeah. absolutely. Because right. a coach would say, come and speak, I need to find out what's going on and tell you what's happening. He didn't even move yeah. from where he was, but the distance between the two was the problem. Yeah, that was, that, two of the, that was one of two that aspects that were particularly remarkable about that the fact that he kept distance between himself and his coach as though I'm not even going to engage in a discussion with you I have made my mind up about this and I'm drawing a line under it immediately. But also that he was a junior member of the team. You, you were talking about yeah. Paolo De Canio. Yeah, yeah. Well, a manager would expect a senior and, you know, with all due respect, the star player of that particular team to need perhaps to a, little degree. Bit more, yeah. a little bit more management. I know, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. The I best know, Italian player on that team. I know that Peter Atherton was there as well. but <laughs> I led by example more than, you know, verbally abusing my, uh, my manager. Or by anyway. playing. Or by playing. <laughs> so... <laughs> Maurizio Sarri would probably expect that kind of situation to come up with someone like Edin Hazard. You know, if he was to yeah, yeah. put Hazard's number up on the board on, you know, 100 and whatever, 18 minutes with penalties looming, you might expect, whon't what's going on? Your senior player, your your. We well, wouldn't expect player. him to do what but Kepa a, did. A young goalkeeper who, mm. albeit has been bought in at a huge price, still establishing himself in the team, to have that level of insubordination from someone at that stage yeah. of their career was was quite remarkable but th- these these this is a, a an extreme manifestation of it but this idea that that players are are too powerful has has been something that we've talked about in football generally for quite a long time it's something we we, we have become almost aware of in direct proportion to how much how much they're, they're all being paid and that that is i think that's too simple an explanation i think there's chinch is right about the structure I think that that has made has empowered players sean dyke said last year that being a manager now is effectively being the the overseer of twenty five individual CEOs of their own corporations. I think that's true. Um, that they are they are kind of companies and entities in their own rights, players, and that they ha- they are managing other people as well, especially in the Premier League. And then their manager at the club has to kind of oversee all of that activity. So it's a hugely complicated job. But the thing that's most interesting to me about the Leicester and Chelsea examples taken together is that m- players only utilise that power when they spot weakness and I think the the flip side to player power the kind of the players have too much power conversation is that managers have less that makes sense doesn't yeah. it that managers and, are and that's a particular example of the Kepa conversation because yeah. of the situation sorry yeah. is in currently so it becomes it becomes very obvious that, that as that power is a zero sum game and more of it as more of it shifts to the players less of it rests with the manager that, mm-hmm. that's logical if you look at Manchester City they have a superstar manager the, the ultimate superstar manager 
and the view is that Guardiola and maybe to a lesser extent say Klopp or Pochettino are inured to the rise of player power because they have you know, strong backing from their club. They are the central figure at their club. The, the clubs have been built in their image and that's all true. But what City did really deliberately after the, the Tevez thing in Munich and after the, the various incidents involving Mario Balotelli, City's players, and I mean this completely nicely, are all really boring. It's all character, characters. The, it's about their characters. You have one or two. So Raheem Sterling is, is, is a, a big character, but I think he's very much a kind of dedicated, focused kind yeah. of... I am going to improve as a player. He's dropped that kind of... Not that most players don't, don't have that, but even the big characters, people like Leroy Sane, are, who might be a bit more difficult, aren't quite the kind of firebrands that Tevez was. At some, that City wouldn't go and sign Di Canio at his peak. They, wouldn't, they don't want that profile of player. City wants soldiers. Is that why maybe Pogba, Alexis Sanchez, they're not the type of character? Do they feel that they wouldn't really fit in with this kind of... But also the, the way that they want to... But the, the players they want to have... Also the superstar manager that Manchester United deliberately courted and went out to provide Manchester United with a superstar signing, as we mentioned just before Christmas in a podcast that we did about Manchester United after Mourinho got sacked. That was a an idea that wasn't followed through mm. by then getting the right player. So if you're going to if you're going to give manager power yeah and you're going to expect that that manager will wield that power because of his personality you have to then understand that the kind of players that you bring into the club have to complement that because you have made that decision yeah. initially. Mm. So what Rory's saying about City is that they did that with Pep Guardiola and then subsequently married that up with player recruitment which is where perhaps Chelsea are making mistakes in terms of the managers they're recruiting to oversee the players that they have in their squad because we're not going to turn the oil tanker around of the fact that players earn more money than nope. the managers that they are harder to get rid of that situation is is with us to stay so Chelsea surely need to start thinking hang on a second mutiny is going to be a problem for us if we keep bringing in managers who also have big personalities who want to implement their very firm tactical beliefs on this set of players because the same thing happened ultimately with Antonio Conte and Jose Jose, who wanted to change things on the back of having won won the title in that this boom and bust cycle for them is going to continue if they won't appoint managers who will simply manage the players that they've got who are so powerful that that's all they require and it's clearly something that Real Madrid got right with Zinedine Zidane yep. and it appears that Manchester United are getting right with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because they've accepted hang on a second pl- the players did not fancy playing for Jose Mourinho that was a situation that we needed to resolve and they've brought in a coach that's getting the best out of those players by perhaps being a little bit more hands-off in terms of how forcefully they get across their ideas. It's no surprise that we've done a podcast about player power about Leicester and the same thing's happened this weekend with Puel going instead of Ranieri and it's no surprise that Chelsea keep doing this with managers that every year, 18 months, two years, there is a change at Chelsea just the players, I don't believe they down tools but very clearly the message stops getting through that the players stop responding to what the manager's doing and it's not a surprise that for United a long, uh, for a long time that the same thing happened that the players sort of ran out of patience with, with Moyes and they ran out of patience with Van Gaal and they ran out of patience with, with Mourinho and, and now they may not do the same with Solskjaer. I don't think we should confuse having to be one of those managers who, who manages kind of... Who's the kind of An- Ancelotti style where you're, you, you keep everybody's spirit, spirits high and that's kind of your defining trait. That's not being a bad manager. It's not in some way a, a weakness compared to the tacticians or the, you know, the people who talk about half spaces. It's a form of management. And it Sven can, used to do that as well. It can, yeah, Sven, that's what Sven did. And it can be really effective and it can be what a team needs. But I think the crucial thing is 
that clubs have to identify, right, either we have this strong base of players who are going to make their their, their opinions felt, whether that's Kasper Schmeichel and Jamie Vardy at Leicester, who are clearly the, the, the remaining power base in the team, or we don't actually have any particularly strong characters. And I'd say that's what it is at Chelsea, that, there's a, that there isn't that kind of core leadership within the, within the dressing room to say, this is how this has to go to a weak manager. You have to empower somebody and you have to make your choice and you have to then build from that. So what City did was they got rid of the, the, the really strong players. And that's not to say that they're kind of lily-livered cowards, but they got rid of the players, the independently minded. So Joe Hart was one of the players yeah. that they Joe felt Hart, they had to get rid of. Great example, yeah. The, someone the, who, who The bigger will reason for Joe Hart going was that. His voice in the dressing room. Not his inability to play with the ball. Although that, that was... That was a huge part. And also, also his so. his general uselessness as a goalkeeper. But also, we... we, that's, we that's so been proved. It's when these, when these kind of confrontations... Uh, I think all players must be behaving like this. All players don't behave like this. There are players, that senior players, that will be incredibly helpful to whoever is in charge of their club as well. So we shouldn't forget that players can help a coach as well. It's not that they're all looking after themselves and in complete disagreement. There are play- I've seen it in dressing rooms, yeah. very experienced players, certainly at Everton, we had a very good coach in Joe Royal, but Dave Watson, who'd been around on everything, Neville Southall, Barry Horn, these are very experienced, never once, even if they maybe disagreed with tactics, maybe in certain games, never did you hear them in private or certainly in a dressing room after a game, publicly criticised. So clearly they knew their place, they knew what they were good at, they they could have thrown their weight around and Neville Southall if he had we're all in trouble <laughs> bang but they didn't so again this this players that will always try and work out a way of helping the team and not just think about their those own kind the of the trust that we were talking about last yeah. week a man, yeah. man motivates yeah, yeah. it's the trust but at that time those players you mentioned great players all of them and vitally important to their team but mm. they weren't assets in the way that the top players are now mm. in Possibly. terms of their value yeah. to the club so yeah. they know yeah. they have players now have even greater job security beyond being an important cog in the, the machine of the team because they are so difficult to get you know if you it's like Richarlison stepping in there for 14 it doesn't yeah. hold a candle to, to what Neville Southall has achieved but Richarlison the, the money they yeah. paid for him the money they're paying him he carries a lot he could actually he's only young so again it'd be interesting to see how he develops but he could get a bit carried away with his own self-importance and think, I can do yeah. what I want. I can tell people how we, we should be doing things. There's, there's, yeah, there's no If Richarlison suddenly became a, a problem in the dressing room, mm. well, there's no point sending him off to the reserves or farming him out on loan because his value is going to immediately plummet. Yeah. And Everton would lose more money that way than they would do in, in paying off a manager. So is that why characters with Pep Guardiola is very keen on the right type of people coming to play for mm. him as well, that are willing to knuckle down and be players under him? Don't yeah. be fighting me. Don't be battling me. I'm not going to allow that to happen. Yeah. So do they work very hard on bringing in certain good players, but the character of those players to work within the, the kind of philosophy of the club? Is, I that, think is a, that clearly what City are doing? A real boom area for the teams that's, that recruit well yeah. is not... They all, obviously, they'll watch the players and they'll, they'll get all the, the performance data in and they'll analyse and they'll do all their due diligence and they'll run their programmes. And City have particularly, but Liverpool will have the same, have big kind of... I don't know, Excel spreadsheets or something. I don't know. Yeah, I, I can't, frankly, frankly, I can't yeah, even yeah. conceive of it, but they'll have kind of comparisons of all the data and they'll be able, they can search through it and they can compare this left back target to that left back target. I must ask you what you think as well, they because tend all to the run computers it, in the world can't, they tend can't to run tell you what you could tell them. Past, mm. past, mm. Um, past me. No, yeah. That's a lie. Is uh, it like a Rory Smith app that you can input all <laughs> the Does data? Rory like this player? Yeah, yeah. Smap. Yeah. Truth, truth be told, Rory's not watched this player. Rory's got other things to do. I'd set your opinion. But no, I'll what, take what, what, what I was going to say. Anyway, we're getting off the point. What yes, I was going to say yes, was sorry, a sorry. lot of clubs now do 
I'd sp- probably spend, I would guess, even more time than... Does the performance stuff is quite easy to get together. You, know, yeah. you, you, you get all the figures and they go into the, the numbers go into a spreadsheet and then you can compare them and that's basically how it works. Um, but I think they do a lot of due diligence on the character of the players. They're, I don't know if they've got set sort of... What's the word? Set like criteria for what, how, many check, how many character checks they have to do. But just as when I get a job, I need references. And so I have to go back to various people I've annoyed through my career. And <laughs> I have to go far, as far back as my high school teacher. You explained the shoplifting. That yes, was, that was it's a fine. Misunderstanding, and, wasn't it? I mean, that thing that happened at the Telegraph. Yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. Where I went to the bathroom on the floor. That was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That in, in, the, in context was fine. But the and you were you were you were the third person to do the telegraph well, exactly. that week. But the um well that was Ben Clissett. Uh The yeah, the, they do a lot. They they spend a lot of time doing that kind of due diligence on the personality of the players now as well. And I think that's the way that we we will see it go. That as the superstar coaches recognise that shift in 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 the balance of power between players and and themselves, they will more and more of them will recognise that what they need are players who will basically do as they're told or you go for that that, Zid, that Zidane example where you have the manager who isn't trying to do anything particularly clever or anything particularly kind of adventurous or revolutionary but he can handle a strong dressing room the, the times that you have problems are Leicester where you have a strong dressing room and a weak manager or strong elements in a dressing room and a weak manager at a time of transition or Chelsea where you have a, a strong dressing room that seems to be kind of heredit, hereditarily strong because as you say, Kepper's yeah. new. Kepper's not John Terry. Like John Terry's not called Kepper and been like, right, Kepper. The way it works at Chelsea is if the manager does something you don't like, you kick off. It seems to be kind of a culture within the club that the dressing room is strong. That's where the power lies. And they had have a manager who is weak as well because the manager's position at Chelsea is a weak position. So in that situation, what you need at Chelsea effectively, and I love Sarri, is, is a Zidane-type manager, someone who'll come in and say, right, I trust... I trust you all to be good enough at football that I don't need to kind of tell you exactly what to do. It's why Ancelotti did so well. Yeah, you bring in players specifically to do you that reckon, job. You, you recognise what yeah. you are, yeah. basically. Which, which yeah. they perhaps haven't done, yeah. Yeah. like, that, ever. The <laughs> problem with Chelsea is they keep getting these superstar managers in who come in with superstar manager ideas, and then the dressing room goes, no, I don't like that. And the dressing room has the power, because it knows it has the power. You need to... Success in football comes... One of the few things I believe about football is that success comes when you, when you recognise what you are and what your circumstances are, and you, you make your decisions to fit. And that's what Chelsea and Leicester haven't done, and that's why those two clubs in particular keep having problems. Yeah, it's not part of the induction. It's not like sign a new player, give them a tube map, let them know the parts of West, <laughs> West London that you know they might want to think about buying a house, and oh, by the way, you can get rid of the manager after six months if you don't like his tactics. Exactly, but it yeah, clearly, yeah. historically, they know, or they will be familiar with what has happened at Chelsea over the course of the last decade or so in terms of how quickly managers have been recycled. It so must be a mood I guess at the club, I don't know. I don't know how that would work. It must be kind of a sense that, I mean there are players who've been there for like David Luiz has been there for a long time and I mean Aspilicueta, but you can't imagine Aspilicueta is a particularly sort of well, prickly they, character. But they, they were saying that what, what was the, the captain doing on the pitch at the time when Kemba nothing, was told nothing, and yeah, he, yeah. He, he was doing nothing. But can we genuinely say that uh, that during those moments, Kepa had the clarity of thought to think, I can get away with doing this because he's weak and I'm strong because I cost £71 million and I'm newly arrived. And to get, you know, that, 
And also the, the problems that Sarri was having the 6-0 defeat. Is, is, yeah, he, is so, he weighing all that up? So I'm no, not, that not a minute before not, a penalty shootout if he's and not, using it all. If he's not weighing it up in that moment, then it must be such a pervading sense yeah. that he doesn't need to think about it because it's instinctive for him to know that his power is greater mm. than that of the manager that allows him to do that. So if it is a question of a club knowing who they are, well, the players know who they are and they yeah. know they're more powerful. It's a bit like with Ed. So when Ed is doing something that he's not allowed to do, yeah, I say Ed, smoking, please smoking. <laughs> that time he robbed that shop, yeah. Well, and, he was going after you, but and yeah, that was that's like father like. So what kind of culture have you got in the house that's, that's well, allowing him to behave? To be like honest, this? our house Maurizio. functions very much like Chelsea, where <laughs> theoretically the people who are in charge are not in charge. Ah, I would say so. Ed will do he's doing something that he doesn't want to do and then we clearly like, didn't do any due diligence on the child <laughs> while he was in the womb <laughs> what were you playing at I don't know check the parameters <laughs> but we you know and then it, he'll you say no don't do that and then he'll just look at you smile and carry on doing it and that's, that's so what do you how, do how, how do you have to lay down the law at some point I, not with the back of your hand clearly I stormed, but you have to man manage child I stormed, manage I storm down the tunnel Get halfway, te- try and take my training top off, realise it's only a half zip, <laughs> then turn around sheepishly. That's so what I so do. basically, Ed is Kepa. Uh, you're Maurizio Sari. Yeah, Kate, is, Kate is Marina Granovskaya. Yeah, so if she's so, around, so she if she's around, things can get sorted out. <laughs> yeah, but See, if that, she's not, that didn't right help Sari. That, that didn't help him storming off and then coming back again. It didn't storm help. off and say, stay, stay stormed off. But that just looked ridiculous. Unzipping his top, which he couldn't zip down fully, walking towards the doors and then coming back again. No, I quite like it. I quite oh, like, it was awful. I liked the theory that his his instinct was, I need a fag. Oh. <laughs> yeah, for a fag break. And, and then he suddenly realised he, he couldn't have one. So he might as well go back. Maurizio, I think Maurizio Sarri's great, best course of action was, in that situation, was to get onto the bench, light up, and just put yeah. his feet up. Be like, right, well, yeah. listen, lads. Can't like, smoke it, inside the stadium, though, can you? He can afford the fine. And then, the, and then that's not the point, though, is it? The the air on the G-string starts playing. I appreciate they're not Hamlet cigars, <laughs> but dung, 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 And the whole stadium just looks at Sarah and he's just there. Uh, for foreign listeners, um, doodle Hamlet cigar advert. And for younger listeners, a cigar is kind of like a big cigarette that you don't you don't inhale. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can. Smoking cigars is the most overrated thing in the world. It's really, my dad smokes cigars. It's but it's what you do when you're when, when you're successful and and powerful. It no, is, no, don't I? They're, I, they're no, I did actually. I think cigars. I did at some point, but they just made me cough. I remember um, there was a Cuba. Coming, coming soon to a future set piece menu. <laughs> yeah. Chinch is going to crack open the Cubans. Oh yeah. <laughs> we oh, went to yes. Cuba. I went to Cuba years ago, and we went around the Tahiba factory, and we you, you buy a Tahiba, and it was this great big. I don't know. I can't, don't know how to describe. It looked like a sausage, basically a long sausage. <laughs> I remember sat in the, I sat on this balcony in Trinidad, this nice little colonial town. Thought, right, we'd, let's have our cohibas. So we lit. It took about fifteen minutes to light. Yeah, yeah. you and need a full fire. You ended up my, my, my jaw properly hurt from having to sho- shove this enormous <laughs> thing in my mouth <laughs> and try to okay, okay. to get enough. Keep keep mentioning cigar to get time. enough kind of draw on it to get some. Some nicotine off it. it. Yeah, cigars, a mystery. An absolute mystery. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, I feel like we've reached the full stop. So how has Sari come out of this? And now it's all settled. It doesn't Badly. settle. People kind of know. I don't, see, there's, there's I don't think it's... it's I, I didn't think it was particularly sustainable anyway before the game. It's a shame because it was his first Major Cup final. He's a brilliant... He's a lovely story, yeah. Sari. It's his first Major Cup final. It, it, they did really well, Chelsea, and then they it did. ended in 
total disaster. But I think his position now is ultimately unsustainable. So Kepa's behaviour, was it purely selfish or was he looking to stick the knife into Sarri? No, no, no. I don't think it was, I don't think he it was malicious. That wasn't the intent. I don't think no. it was malicious, okay. no. Okay. The, the it, it might have been born out of malice, but the action wasn't malicious. And if, if that's that five minutes sense. since the second half, does he maybe come off? Two minutes away from a penalty shootout. Yeah. Whenever, yeah. Is that is that maybe the timing of it as well? The, the, maybe think differently the about ever-wise it? Mark Chapman on the radio last night did say that, that there were a variety of circumstances that maybe added to the confusion. Yeah. One is yeah. the fact that he'd gone down injured a couple, injured a couple of times. One was the fact you, you had... Um, the possibility that it could have been tactical, it wasn't clear what the reason for the injury, for the substitution was. But ultimately, none of that matters. He saw his number come up and he thought, no, I'm not doing that. And that that is, and I'm, I hope we all know each other well enough to know that I'm not some sort of sort of knee-jerk, sack them all, let's get out of the EU type. But ultimately, <laughs> ult- not, not ultimately yeah. that is an act of gross insubordination. And to return to Chris Sutton, in his column for a national newspaper, Sutton said that, Kepa should be sacked, and then Football Three Six Five Media Watch, fairly predictably, kind of lambasted him for that insane suggestion and ridiculous kind of reactionary overreaction type thing. I'm pretty sure there'll be a clause in his contract that says that if he, in some way, kind of what what's the phrase they always use, um, brings the club into disrepute, disrepute or yeah. does does or something gross misconduct, is guilty like of drawing misconduct. in the snow, that type of thing, not not wanting to come off, yeah, and making yourself. I remember Carlos didn't Carlos Tevez go back to Argentina or South America yeah. and didn't yeah. make yeah. himself available, while, yeah. and City they they didn't have to pay him I think while he was over yeah. there because if you make yourself available for selection and the club decide not to use you, they carry on paying you. Yeah. But apparently when Tevez was Abroad and not making himself available. That's the same club Diego said, Costa as well. The club yes, said we, we yeah. don't have to pay you. There was a also, d- d- we're not going to sell about. you. Right. So again, I think that's if you if you if you're saying I refuse to play, I can't remember refusing to come off. I can, can you remember it, anything similar no, where players refuse to come? And off? it won't be specified in the contract. There won't be a clause fourteen point three. Won't say you have to be substituted when the manager says. Yeah, but disrepute. there will there will be a clause that says you have to. Conduct yourself in such a way that you don't bring the uphold club into disrepute. Uphold the, the value, yeah. all that club capitalised for no apparent reason. <laughs> and I, I would have thought that if Chelsea were, were so minded, they're obviously not. If they were so minded, a clever lawyer could probably argue that they could, that he's invalidated the contract. Yeah, but where are they going to get their seventy-two million quid back from? Yeah, exactly. Which that's is why, why it's yeah. utterly yeah. irrelevant and clause did, if it exists. And yeah. did the numbers go up on the board? Yeah, of course they did. The fourth official held the board up with yeah. the numbers on it. Yeah, right. Okay. The, the, the silver lining, if Sari wants to see it, of course, that what it has shone a light upon is something that most people already were aware of, but it was confirmation of the fact that the problems at Chelsea are not down to the manager. Yeah. That's that what I was wondering about how he comes out of all this. People say, oh, it's terrible. It's shown that they, they, they don't care about the coach. Actually, does it shine a light on maybe the players have to look at their responsibilities and their pu- behaviour? Maybe, maybe helps him in, in, maybe in helps sort of court of public opinion. Yeah. 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 If, he was, you know, if he's going to get another big job on the back of this, a lot of people would perhaps give him a pass over what happened yeah. at, at Chelsea in terms of his ability to control an elite group of players because it, you know, it, they've, got, they've got form in that regard. Yeah. And there was a very, very public demonstration of a young footballer completely ignoring their, their manager's wishes. Mm. I mean, it's an interesting story. Like, like Rory says, you know, I was fascinated by him coming to the Premier League, having watched his, his Napoli team over three seasons for BT Sport. I, I really wanted it to go well. But Plug. Plug. Well, also, we're allowed to mention the New York Times, but we're not allowed to fair mention point. the people yeah, I work. Yeah, fair point. I mentioned the New York Times, to be fair, and That's I don't true. work yeah. for them yet. Well, you've mentioned Sheffield Wednesday. You, you work for them. <laughs> work for them's a bit uh, of a... We mentioned football. We talk, I was we there, talk Steve. On, on the payroll. We talk yeah. constantly about super dry. <laughs> so, yeah. Super dry. One very brief mention of one of my employers, and suddenly... 
or how Carry on, Steve. Anyway, it's a good point you're making about BT. In terms of in terms of his character, his personality, it's obviously been shunned by some of the big clubs in Italy, the big northern clubs in Italy. Napoli and he seems to be a, a very happy marriage, bearing in mind that's the, the area the country's from. Did, did he, he, did he really have any problems at Napoli? Did the players... No. No, no because nothing at all. Oh, well, he had problems with De Laurentiis at the end, didn't he? The, yeah. ma- the president, who's a bit... But that's a big name, big name players, didn't they? Yeah. But Not... The, the, the Napoli dressing room wouldn't have... Wouldn't have the same and, sort of and power. And significantly as improved them individually yeah. and as a team, probably yeah, okay. to garner and, that trust okay. that meant that they wouldn't yeah. do anything like that, even if they thought they wanted. But to. Hamid Hamzit would be your, your only really kind yeah. of get truly him on side. You're okay. Yeah. And as a Neapolitan, obviously he, yeah. he would have had the backing of the fans who would have wanted a, a homegrown manager to have bought success. So he, he didn't have problems, you know, in the way that the Chelsea fans have turned yeah. him. That wouldn't have happened necessarily in Naples unless things had been going very, very badly. But it just never really felt like him in the Premier League was no. something that was going to work out and it just seems a shame that it, it, it sort of came came to pass what about in a, such a, a sort of public and dramatic he's way. Probably, he's probably not going to go to another club outside the top six but would he have worked, as we talk about the culture within certain clubs, he, he presumably his methods would work at other clubs? I th- yeah, I, I think his his methods could work. Say ball, you know, I'm not yeah. saying he would be able to say he went no, to Bournemouth again, the players would, would give themselves up to what he's looking to do. If Sarri had gone to Arsenal in the summer, would that would that have been a more natural fit? I can see he would have been given more yeah. time. Would he have picked Özil? <laughs> yes, but well, yeah, it, God knows what Sarri would have done with Özil. But if you look at what he did with Mertens, is the is the obvious example of a player he just totally he, he took and said, right, that's not your position, don't play there. Partly through injury to Milik, but Kajon, he got a huge amount out of. He turned Kajon basically into a like a like a far post striker, effectively. Problem is, he'd have played Özil through the middle. And he'd have moved Aubameyang out wide. Lacazette wouldn't have been able to get in. Yeah, and yeah. So I'm not sure. But it would. You you wonder whether the culture at Arsenal. Mind you, I'm not sure the culture in Arsenal's dressing room is des- desperately healthy either. To be, if you look at what's happening with Özil and stuff. But yeah, you wonder whether that would have been an easier job for him. So, somewhere like Spurs, I think would have been perfect for for Sarri. Final point: Does this this uh, instance of gross insubordination, as uh, we are calling it, um, uh, lead any other player in a similar position to think? I could do something here that I'm likely to get away with, maybe a week's fine, maybe a bit of castigating by fans, former pros and people in the media, but I might be able to get rid of a manager that I don't like. Is somebody going to follow Kepa's example and, if Kepa wasn't malicious, use it as a malicious act to try and affect something in the club that they want to happen? Not so publicly. If they're going to try and work... But maybe if they, but if maybe they this happened at Leicester, you talk maybe to they the get it done. Maybe they get it done. I'd... I'd, I'd tend to think that play, even Kepa's reaction maybe was more the circumstances and of the moment. I can't see a young player like that would, it must be incredibly strong-willed to think that he can behave like that in a way to try and get, put the manager in hot water or maybe get rid of the manager. They, they tend to do it, like I say, the relationship they may have with the owners, mm. they'd maybe put a word in, I, that's more likely that they'd do it quietly and in private, wouldn't do it so publicly on the pitch. So they go and write a swear word in the snow outside Paul Jewell's office. Andy Booth, absolute <laughs> disgrace. Before we go, it's time for Nevermind Jack and Ori, oh. what a soccer story. So Andy tells the tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed. If I keep the distance between and just kind of shun you away and say I don't want to do a soccer story I don't want to do a soccer story I don't want to do a soccer story do I not get <laughs> number to do is a soccer up on story the board. This, strangely isn't this weird it's about willfulness oh, now you know that? me I'm not the most willful I'm not the most dominating of characters oh, I am right. a people and a pod pleaser <laughs> a pod pleaser <laughs> that's kind of what I, yeah I, I go with the flow because I don't know all the stuff that you go, I, I obviously bring some humour to the uh, occasion but I don't know I don't have the intelligence or the knowledge the experience that you guys have about football it's clear 
Don't be ridiculous. I have my role to play. You it's quite, and I give myself up. Why is it? It's You're true. Anyway, anyway. He says this, anyway. this, he says this so without meaning it. I, I do mean it. I do mean it. I do mean it. He's sneering. But I'm not sneering. This is the whole point. I don't sneer and I don't, hopefully, don't manipulate people to get what I want. There's a few occasions that I did pull the tiger's tail, pull Jewel. Certain things might have happened in the winter that, that maybe annoyed him. And that is very rare for me to behave like that. And that's, if, if it was me, that's the way I would kind of use any power that I have. I wouldn't verbally have a go at somebody because I, 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 I'd be beaten down. There's, there's no way. Well, if you've got a Scouse man swearing at you, clearly you can't win the argument. But anyway, <laughs> this... This is about one of the few occasions that I probably got one over on Howard Kendall because he was such a good manipulator of a, a, a group of people. He wasn't necessarily good one-on-one, -on -one, but a group of people he was absolutely brilliant at. So this was a training session. I remember when he first came to Man City and he'd made his mind up pretty quickly. I was probably going to be sold because he needed some money for this, that and the other. And he clearly didn't think that I could play. And I remember a training session. We were doing Shadow uh, 11 against 11. And one of the things that you know, Roy, that I was famed for in my career was the, the crossfield pass. Yes. The 60-yard... You must have seen... The big diag. The big... Well, it's not just a big diag. It's a 60-yard pinpoint pass, Stephen. So I'll have to correct you on that. <laughs> Can I correct you on that? You see what I'm saying still here? It's still a big diag. Oh well, exhibit A... Exhibit A... Exhibit A... The 1989 Manchester derby. Crossfield ball. David White's feet. Ball crossed into the box. Goal. <laughs> Exhibit B, any Everton game with Andre Konchelskis on the opposite flank. He was signed, I'm convinced, not because he was a brilliant goal scorer or creator, because I could play a crossfield pass and he was really fast. So I used to drop the... Why are you smiling? This Joe Royal signed Andre Konchelskis because he thought, I've got the chinch in his 60-yard pinpoint crossfield passes. I need the fastest winger in world football. Konchelskis is our man. And I used to ping the ball over the top of the opposite left back and Konchelskis, all his goals basically came from that method. But I'm maybe overplaying my, my role in his <laughs> yes, Everton career. Exhibit C but anyway, so this is a training session. So I am a big fan of the crossfield. I've been encouraged to do it from when I was a kid. I just had this natural ability to, again, play a ball over long distances to someone's feet. Um, <laughs> but Howard Kendall was very keen for this not to happen. Why? He was playing to midfield, midfield play it right. forward. As a back four, as a full back, you didn't do this because it was risky. Because mm. if you played it and scuffed it, into a, uh, the opposition central midfield they're at you Yeah. so there's a training game so I, th I can't remember whether Dave White was on the opposite flank so I get the ball and first thing I do naturally ping crossfield ball 60 yards straight to Dave White's feet Howard Kendall stop 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 no more of that we don't do that that's, that's really risky why? because if you scuff it they're going to give the ball away if, if I scuff it yes okay next time I get it ping <laughs> crossfield ball <laughs> stop what did I just say <laughs> about that crossfield ball. Uh, you said not to play it. Why have you played it? Because I played it right and it played us into a good attacking position. I don't want that. Play it into midfield. Peter Reid, whatever it is, he'll turn, he'll play. Okay, got your boss. Next time I get it. Ping, crossfield <laughs> ball. So this is me. Now this is me. How old would I? Would probably would have been 21, 22. So this is, this is me standing up for myself. Because I knew, I can't remember to, uh, if ever in my career, me actually, you know what I mean? When yeah, you yeah. try and play those crossfield and you... You just completely scuff it. But I would never try and play it unless I knew I could play it. And, and I gave it enough welly that even if I got it wrong, it would take the head off of the opposition <laughs> central midfielder because you give, it a bit of, yeah. you give it a bit of something. But I must have done it four or five. And that maybe was the major reason, yes, along with my lack maybe. of drinking and reading classic novels, <laughs> that made Howard Kendall 
think I can't play. But by doing that, I'm showing I can play. And what did but he, it's what completely did he, against what he, he said. This is not what... And his, his did he keep teams, stopping the session? He stopped it. But I kept doing it. <laughs> and how he did was, it I presume he was then hoping that I would eventually get one wrong and he'd say, that's, but I didn't get any wrong. And that's maybe what that, infuriated that him. Is still ongoing now. Infuriated <laughs> him even more is the fact that actually someone that he thought, you're doing it wrong, I don't like you, you can't play... Oh, there's another inch perfect crossfield ball. So that was one of the few times I think in my career, along with the Paul Jewell stories, where I've ever kind of thrown my weight around. So it's not Kepa esque. I would never really have done it on a match day. No. Because I must have played for Howard. I didn't play too many games for Howard. But I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have stopped doing that because it's one of the things that I did. If I didn't do that, I only had throw ins. <laughs> what else am I going to do? So that's one of my big things. So maybe, again, it's a power struggle. Him saying, I want to take that away, but this is how he wanted to play. It was play through the play through the thirds. Don't play those big balls. But that's what Man City do with Laporte, don't they? Big crossfield yeah, balls. They did it with Kolarov before. Martin, that's why he played Martin Keown said the only player that plays crossfield balls in the <laughs> game Luiz. is David Luiz, which is... But oh, everyone does it now, don't they? Because it's such a good tactic. David, David Luiz in, the, in the, so um, the FA Cup game between Chelsea and Manchester United played a long crossfield ball. Yeah. A big diag. A big diag. And Martin Keown said he really is the only player who can do that. <laughs> But I was doing this back in, you know, like about 20 teams. I've been doing this since I was 14. I, but well, Howard yeah. clearly didn't like it, did not like it. Uh, we leave you with a reminder of how to get in touch with the podcast at SetPieceMenu on Twitter, setpiecemenu at gmail.com and also facebook.com forward slash setpiecemenu. Please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Steve, Rory and to Andy and to you all for listening. We'll be back with another set piece Menu for you to enjoy very soon. As a Sunday league footballer. I was going to say, I had the crossfield pass. What was your great? Uh, long range shots. Long range shots. Yeah, I, what from the substitutes? Back I went through a no, not that no, long range. No, I went get, get running and getting it back. Yeah, <laughs> a purple patch. We've all heard my humiliating football story. It's time for a little bit of boasting. I went through a purple <laughs> patch where I, at uni, where I must have scored, I don't know, ten, twelve from outside the box in one season. Was it ten? Was it twelve? Around that, I got. I scored from, from what kind of range? The longest was Naeem Est from the halfway line. Did you mean it? Yep. And that was your. How tall was the goalkeeper? The, I mean, I'm not, the goalkeeper might have been quite tall. He clearly wasn't really good, <laughs> but that doesn't. This matter. is five-a-side football, by the way, that he's talking. It's about. not. No, no, no. This is. This is that. Full that was full, That was full eleven. That was full eleven aside. Um, and then later in life, I went through a spell of. Well, I say spell. Did it once? Uh, I scored. <laughs> <in a, laughs> it's not a spell. In a hockey, <laughs> I scored an overhead kick in a in a seven-a-side hockey goal, which anyone from the magazine four four two will be able to to vouch for. That was the be- that's the best all I've ever scored. You and overhead kicks. You're, you're the kind of person that would overhead kick it into your own face. I, that's I, what that's what kind of inept before my Sunday league. Rory Smith named players tend to do, don't they? Overhead kick it into their own faces. I would say that my my greatest flaw as a footballer was never thinking that you couldn't rabona something. <laughs> <laughs> what, Steve? Did you? What's your what's your uh... curling right footballs up the touchline from right back to. Pacey winger ah, who was basically your, a better player the than the right me. back version of Chinch I'm yeah, not yeah. going to ask you because there will be no redeeming feature to your footballing ability I once spent an afternoon in a field with best man Billy with a ball or not trying to, oh, yeah. trying to actually do an overhead kick never <laughs> once managed it seriously <laughs> yeah, never once what you missed the ball or yeah just missed the ball couldn't missed get myself the off the ground I was just like basically throwing, throwing myself on the ground so you didn't get off the ground and you missed the ball <laughs> overhead kicks maybe Beyond step me. too far he would be the Sunday Football? league equivalent of Shane Long <laughs> basically far. just running and running and yeah. stop running criticizing the Shane I'm Long I'm just saying that's what he would have done